Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on this here program? Got a lot of great calls, and uh, I got to talk about Republican anger of the Democrats, but I promised to talk about something first, and I really did want to talk about it right now. One of the many questions I keep getting is why can't some states count their ballots fast? And it allows people with bad motive to suggest conspiracies or theft when it's not happening uh, to suggest that, oh, well, they got to look at the ballots and see who it is and they move slow so they can change it. You know, there was a time in this country where that happened in the local level and it still does in some places. We shouldn't be that dismissive of it. It does happen in some places, but to affect statewide elections, it becomes very hard to do. Uh, usually people can't keep secrets. They get caught oftentimes because you have to have Democratic and Republican observers. Uh, it, it can be caught. Um, it, it isn't a common thing that happens. The, what actually is happening is compliance with outdated laws that need to be changed. I need to go back in the way back machine, but not too far back. I need to go back to the year 2000. In the year 2000, in the state of Florida, every county designed its ballot. There was not really a uniform standard. There was just some guidance in you got to have the federal candidates and then the statewide candidates and then the uh, state legislative candidates. If the federal candidates, you got to have statewide federal candidate below congr- before congressional candidate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that sort of stuff. There was guidance on the order in which you put the races. And then each local county got to decide the sort of machine it wanted to use, how it was going to use the machine um, and design the ballot for it. Palm Beach County, Florida, used something called a butterfly ballot. You open it up and you use a little pin with a little nub on the end and it punches through and opens up a hole, a perforated hole next to the name of the person you wanted. And that little piece of paper that comes out, that little square was called a chad. And in the 2000 election, George W. Bush won Florida by 536 votes. Losing the popular vote, won the Electoral College, and litigation ensued. To this day, there's a fiction that George W. Bush stole the election, that he didn't really win. Actually, uh, USA Today led a media consortium after it was over. And one of the things they did is they counted the ballots and they used three standards. They used the standard set under Florida law, literally read and applied. They used the standard that Al Gore insisted be used. And they used the standard that George W. Bush insisted be used. And an irony of ironies, if they used the standard that George W. Bush argued in court should have been used, George W. Bush would have lost. If they used the standard that Al Gore insisted in court should be used, 
George Bush would have won by more than 536 votes. But the media, based on the literal application of Florida law, concluded that George Bush had actually won Florida. What the Supreme Court case of Bush versus Gore did was actually shut the counting down. The state Supreme Court in Florida was packed with Democrats who were dragging out and dragging out and dragging it out. And Florida law set a time by which the ballots needed to be counted. And so the Supreme Court said, shut it down now. The hanging Chad phenomenon became an argument because... If you had perforated just one corner and the chad did not fall out, you thought you'd made a mark, but it was still hanging on by three corners. Was that a vote or not? Al Gore said, yes, it's a vote. George Bush said, no, it's not a vote. What about two corners? It didn't completely fall out, but it was two corners. The two-quarter rule was, yes, it was arguably a vote so long as it was two adjacent quarters and it was hanging and you could see the indentation had been made so it didn't accidentally in the handling come open. You could actually see someone had pushed through. Yes, you counted that. If it was three, obviously you counted it. But what if it was two, but there was another one that had been uh, uh, another quarter of another vote had been pushed in by accident? Like the voter had accidentally touched it and said, no, no, what do you do? Well, you had to try to determine the intent of the voter. It was a disaster. It was miserable. The George Bush standard actually, I believe, was it had to be fully, the hanging chad had to be fully separated. There could be no hanging chad unless it was by just one corner. And the George Bush position was ruled by the courts as just not clear or or being too precise because clearly if there was a two-corner hanging chat and you could tell someone had tried to push it through and didn't connect, well, you should count that vote. And it's a good thing the courts did that. Otherwise, Bush, based on his own standard, would have actually lost Florida. But after that, Jeb Bush, President Bush's brother, was the governor of Florida And he summoned the legislature, which at the time was not nearly as Republican as it was. And he said, guys, we got to do something. We got to fix this. So Florida changed its voting system. It moved to a uniform standard in every county with a central ballot design, with the names put in by the local governments, with electronic systems and checks and scans. And they did something else. In Florida, they decided your absentee ballot must show up before the close of business on election day. And every absentee ballot, an early vote that is cast before the election can go on and be verified they're legitimate, certified they're real, and processed. So when the polls close in Florida, all you have to do is run the tabulation. The votes have already been counted through the machine. You know what they are. You haven't seen the results. You haven't technically counted votes. You've just processed them, and you can spit them out. Florida now allows the early processing on Election Day of absentee and early votes. So when the rest of the country is struggling to get through the night, Florida has already processed all of its absentee ballots, already counted all of its absentee ballots, all of its early ballots, and it's ready to roll with just Election Day voting so the system doesn't get overwhelmed. And as a result, a state with 30 Electoral College votes and tens of millions of people counts quicker than every other state in the nation because only Florida went through the butterfly ballot disaster of the year 2000 and everybody saw we need change. 
There are some states, California being one of them, Nevada being one of them, Pennsylvania being one of them, that still allow votes to come in a week after the election and be counted. If your ballot is marked with a postage stamp, with a postal seal showing it was put in the mail on election day, California says it comes in a week later, we'll still count it. Many states, including Pennsylvania, do not allow even the uh, verification of absentee ballots until the polls close. So in Pennsylvania, you have 1.5 million absentee ballots. Not a single absentee ballot can even be opened until the polls close. In some areas of Arizona, Maricopa County, the problems they're dealing with, You can't do anything with any of the ballots until the early and absentee ballots are dealt with. And you can't do anything with the early and absentee ballots until the polls have closed on election day. It is a very literal translation of law that you can't vote until election day. And you can't count the votes until the polls are closed. So they don't even, your vote is not considered to be cast until election day in Arizona because they don't open the envelopes to see that you've actually voted. They don't process to make sure you're a real voter. They don't process to make sure you showed up on election day, but also cast an absentee ballot. There's a problem. We got to get rid of the absentee ballot and go with your election day vote because we can't pull that back out of the system. There are all sorts of problems with these. It would behoove the Congress of the United States with a narrowly divided Congress to not play cutesy with this. All you got to do is pass a very simple law that says all absentee ballots have to be received by close of business on election day. And all absentee or early votes can be verified and certified before the polls close on election day. Just do those things. It would speed up the process for all of us. One of the frustrating but genius aspects of the American electoral system is that every state does it differently because each state, you have to remember, every state is sovereign. Every American state is actually a nation state. They have ceded their national sovereignty to a federal government. But those things that are not in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, those powers remain with those semi-sovereign nations. And those semi-sovereign nations, all 50 of them, plus the territories of the United States, get to handle elections in a way they see fit. It makes it very hard to tamper with elections at a national scale. It also deeply frustrates us at a national scale because we don't know the results on election night in many states. In California, it can take two weeks to three weeks to figure out what's going on, given how they count and process ballots. We could allow Congress to shape some uniform standards without breaking down the federalist aspect of allowing each state to control elections as it sees fit. Just write a law on how you process and count absentee and early ballots. That's all you got to do, Congress. But both sides would have to come together and not get cute with the other side. And there are some Democrats who very vehemently believe that any vote cast on election day should be counted, and that includes someone who filled out their absentee ballot and mailed it on election day, and it doesn't come in for three weeks, you should have to count it. Those, I don't think there's a reasonable position for that. I understand why they do. They really do believe you voted on election day. We should count your vote even if you waited until 5 p.m. on election day to mail it in. 
and we can certify based on the postage seal that you did mail it in that day. I don't find that a reasonable position. I know that some Democrats believe that. This is where compromise comes in. But I have to acknowledge that it's a good thing in my mind that we have 50 states and 50 voting processes. It makes it harder on a national scale to steal a presidential election. But at the micro scale, we should be able to do better as a nation in processing our elections. I am very glad we do not have a National Elections Bureau like they do in Brazil or like they do in Great Britain, where they count phenomenal. You know, in in Britain, they count by paper, and they do it very, very quickly, and they can process through the night and get a result. They also have far fewer people than we do nationally, but also I do believe that each state in this nation maintaining its own election process is actually a good thing for the integrity of the system, and each state should not have to surrender its election sovereignty to Washington, particularly when that's not in the Constitution. All that is to say, in the year 2000, Florida had a massive screw-up, and it was forced to update its election process. Other states, believe it or not, look at the screw-ups they have regularly, like in Maricopa County, Arizona, and they think that's just part of our historic process. We do this every time, and these problems occur. In the 21st century, when everyone's a conspiracy theorist, they really do need to realize you've got to update your election code. It's time for some uniform standards that the states could agree on on processing early and absentee votes, even as they disagree on the method of election day voting. It would be good for all of us, good for the nation, if states could agree to do those sorts of things. Americans for Prosperity plays to win. That matters a lot to me. I know a lot of D.C.-based organizations that just want to pass paper around to other Beltway insiders or claim they speak for everyday Americans without ever having to leave Washington, D.C. Americans for Prosperity is different. They're not a think tank. They're grassroots do-tank. Americans for Prosperity is a -a one-of-a-kind, freedom-oriented, limited government advocacy and accountability organization that actually takes action to expand opportunity for all Americans and defend your freedom of speech. They're doing great work at all levels of government. What's their secret? Well, they don't really rely on Washington. They built a network of concerned citizens who are stepping up for freedom in communities all around the country. If you want to learn more, if you want to find out how to get involved with Americans for Prosperity with a chapter near you, and I assure you, they have a chapter near you, check them out at americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. That's americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the phones with me, let me go to Andrea first today. Welcome, Andrea. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? Good. What's going on? Well, I was just wondering what makes a bad candidate? Because whenever I listen to Dr. Oz, he always sounded so cogent. And Fetterman always sounded like a belligerent mess. But the common (laughs) wisdom was always that we were stuck with the bad candidate. Okay. Um, So here's why. Um, Dr. Oz is a smart, polished, highly articulate man. Uh, but he was a he lived in New Jersey and mispronounced all of the local stores in Pennsylvania, uh, mispronounced uh, the local landmarks in Pennsylvania, uh, called a cheese platter, a cheese and vegetable platter, a crudite, showing that he really wasn't connected to the working class of America. 
Um, and that's why he was a bad candidate. He didn't fit the market in which he ran. Had Dr. Oz run in a different market, he would have been a good candidate. Uh, but he didn't fit Pennsylvania, particularly in a Republican Party that is moving towards a coalition of non-college educated voters. Having a, a surgeon who couldn't even pronounce the, the name of the popular local grocery store throughout Pennsylvania suggested he was an outsider. Uh, that's what people mean by being a bad candidate. Also, his campaign uh, had a lot of strategic missteps along the way. And those of us outside of Pennsylvania don't appreciate this, uh, but they didn't do the run-of-the-mill routine events in Pennsylvania like you expect candidates in Pennsylvania to do, whether it's appearances at state fairs or at local beer halls where every candidate in the state goes. They just seem to be like they had dropped in from New Jersey to do it. So, yeah, you look at Dr. Oz, you look at his resume, you look at the way he talked, you look at the way he acted, you look at the way he said things, you look at the way he debated, you're like, this is a sharp, good candidate. Why don't people like him? He was never favorable, and this is the other issue of why he was a bad candidate. Dr. Oz maintained 40% approval ratings with Republican voters in Pennsylvania. So um, McCormick, uh, what's his name, um, who, who ran against him, not Rich McCormick, different McCormick up in, in Pennsylvania, who will probably run in a couple of years. He maintained positive approval ratings with Pennsylvania Republicans. He lost the Republican nomination by less than 1% after Donald Trump endorsed Mehmet Oz. There is no doubt in anyone's mind Donald Trump's endorsement of Oz persuaded just enough Pennsylvania voters that they should vote for Oz over McCormick. And so McCormick lost. McCormick actually polled ahead of John Fetterman. When polling was done, who would poll better against Fetterman? McCormick polled better against him. Dr. Oz was Hannity's guy, or was, was Trump's guy because Sean Hannity and Melania Trump convinced Donald Trump they needed to back Mehmet Oz. He was a friend of both of theirs. They both liked him, and they persuaded Trump. I try never to get people to support people who are friends of mine just because they're friends of mine. Uh, Rich McCormick, I actually supported him in 2020 in his primary before I even really knew him. He's now, I consider him a friend, but I was supporting him because of his background, um, because of his resume, because of his qualities. To just support someone, well, I, I, he's a friend of mine. Yeah, but he lives in New Jersey. Yeah, but he would be good. We can move him to Pennsylvania. You, you just you can't do that. Every state in this nation has a, a regional patterns and practices. You know, I, I worked for a candidate one time who was running in South Georgia. And he had a woman who was a fundraiser for him. There's a town in South Georgia, C-O-R-D-E-L-E. -E, and uh, he would regularly, it was called Cordille. And she on the campaign trail would call it Cordelais. And we had to get her to shut up um, and, and stop talking about it because of how she would pronounce them. South Georgia, you've got a town called Cairo. It's pronounced Cairo. You got a town called Unadilla. You've got a Vienna that's pronounced Vienna. If you don't live there, you don't say the names right. Dr. Oz went around Pennsylvania 
calling local stores by the wrong pronunciation and calling local towns by the wrong pronunciation. That made him a bad candidate. Everyone could say, you ain't from around here, is ya? No, he wasn't. The holidays are the most exciting time of the year. And if you want to enjoy them to the fullest, you need to get the best night's sleep every single night. It's easier than it sounds. All you need are the softest, most luxurious organic cotton sheets from Bowling Branch. They're made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. They make a difference you can truly feel night after night. I have to tell you, as someone who sleeps on them every night, the more you wash them, the softer they get. And, you know, we've got a very thick mattress, and they actually fit the mattress. The the fitted sheet fits our mattress. It doesn't snap off because of the thickness of the mattress, and it doesn't shrink up either, which is great. Bolin Branch products are made different. You get a great night's sleep, and every time you wash them, you get an even better sleep under even softer sheets. Their signature sheets even come wrapped and are ready in a beautiful holiday gift box. Your gift will look and feel great. It's the unboxing experience they'll never forget. Give the gift of a better night's sleep with Bowling Branch right now. You get early access to their Black Friday sale with my promo code. Get 25% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. The offer ends November 27th. Hello, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on this here program, want to spend some time with your calls, ah, y'all, I got so much other stuff to say. Uh, And I want to talk to you uh, as a voter, as a Republican. I want to talk to members of Congress. But before I do any of that, I also want to talk to Shane, who's been waiting patiently. Welcome to the show, Shane. Thank you, Eric. I just had a couple quick points, and I'll make it quick. Uh, I'm a longtime Trump supporter. I'm still a supporter of Trump. I think at the time he had done great things. He opened up a whole space in the market for Republicans that don't have to cower down, that stand up, that can articulate their points and get it across. And I think he did good things for the four years that he was president. But we're at the time now where you have to look at the greater good for the party. I mean, I could give a biblical analogy of Moses took the slave, the Jewish slaves, and he took them across the desert. Of course, he took a couple of wrong turns, but he took them to the promised land. However, he angered God in which he did not get to go with him. Sometimes you have to do things for the better good of the party. I support him. If I could write the novel, I would put him in office and watch MSNBC on loop, just watching the tears in their faces melt. <laughs> I don't have that. Um, Ron DeSantis, it's – I know I butchered his name. That's all right. It's more his time. He can, he can carry that torch and share that message. And if Trump just stood back, he would be appreciated for the things he does. But he's only going to tarnish his legacy with the conservatives – the longer he stays and if he runs again. Thank you. Listen, uh, Shane, I, I appreciate your call, and your point is well taken. Um, I, I, I get a sense, you know, it, it, so this is the thing. It, this is very notable to me. In 2021, precisely January 7th and 8th, 2021, when I was very critical of Trump, after the stuff on January 6th. 
I was overwhelmed with callers who were very mad at me. You hate Trump. You blame Trump for everything. Get over yourself. It's not his fault. Uh, they 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 were just there to defend their man. Um, it wasn't that bad. Uh, Trump's okay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's something that's happened. Because in the last 24 hours, I'm overwhelmed with calls from people who voted for Trump twice, love the man, but they're ready for the future. A, a switch has flipped. And I do think it's, it's the disappointment of the outcomes, the inability to avoid attacking Republicans in the general election and the candidates. I, it was notable that his first tweet about Tuesday night was to say good riddance to a Republican Senate candidate. Um, I, yeah, I, I think something, I, I think something has happened out there in the conservative zeitgeist, if you will, uh, that is shaping things up differently than it has in the past. 877-973-7425. Jake, you're going to be up next. Thanks for being patient with me. Yes. Uh, hello, Eric. So I wanted, uh, first off, uh, congratulations on your wife's uh, results. I'm Thank glad you. that worked out. And I very much agree that uh, Trump needs to step aside. I voted for him in the 2020 general election, but I voted against him in the 2020 primary. In Texas, I voted for the uncommitted line for a brokered convention. Now, I voted for him over Biden, but I have always felt we needed someone else. Anyways, I wanted to talk to you about something you said earlier about the you know, abortion. Should we have a national ban or leave it to the states? I think that we can – Yeah, I, I, I don't think we should rule out a national abortion ban forever – I think we have to accept the reality that right now public opinion is not ready for that. But I also think the pro-life movement can, over the next few years, start winning over public opinion. Here's how I think we do it. Number one, passage of time. I think there's a lot of people who are scared about all this stuff with abortion because it's new. People don't like change. But once Dobbs becomes the settled status quo, people will get more comfortable with it. And it will be more of a known commodity. So I think public opinion shift. But also, I think the pro-life movement, I think if we start uh, flooding the airwaves with stories, stories of what pro-life pregnancy centers are doing, stories of uh, pro-life activists who used to work for Planned Parenthood, uh, women who regret having abortions, people who've survived abortions, abortion survivors, if we – if we start flooding the airwaves with those stories, especially in states where they are voting on it on the ballot, I think in the next eight years or so, in that short of time, I think we can start winning public opinion over on this. And maybe one day the nation will be ready for a 15-week ban or maybe even going further than that. But I also think we have to be patient and we need to go on offense on trying to win over public opinion. That's what you I know, think the next you, steps are. First, Jake, I appreciate the time you stayed on hold to get get to this point. And, and you in Texas have a, a former governor and president who argued that the pro-life movement needed to change hearts and minds and not just laws. It was a controversial line that George W. Bush said at the time, but I, I took his meaning to heart that you can't just uh, – you, you got to explain why and you got to persuade people. And, in fact, the pro-life movement overall did that. 
uh, and has gotten to the point where they've shaped public policy, they shaped the courts enough to be able to get this back to the states. And at the state level, I think we do have to decide, do we want a national ban or do we just want a uh, every state to decide? Uh, and we can have that conversation. You're you're right. We've got to be able to have the conversations and we got to be able to persuade people. And I suspect you're right that we will be able to persuade people Polling seems to suggest you're right, that people are more and more inclined to accept the 15-week um, restrictions beginning at 15 weeks, if not an outright ban. So thank you, one, for staying on hold. I, I know you were on hold for almost an hour to make the point, and thank two, you. very well stated. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Jake, uh, calling from Texas. Um, I, um, I I really, I, I, I think the pro-life movement doesn't need to run away from itself here. And I know that there are people in the GOP who wish to do that, um, but I don't think they should. Allow me, if you will, well, you have to, because it's my show. <laughs> um, I want to talk to members of Congress. And I, I, I want to, this is, it's, it's monologuing. I, I don't have a member of Congress on the phone. But I want to say something to members of Congress. Dear members of Congress, will you please delete your Twitter accounts, stop going on television, and stop focusing on constituents, please? For some reason, at some point, some years ago, both parties embraced the idea of a top-down legislative approach. The leadership will set the agenda. The leadership will write the legislation. And the base of that party that controls the House of Representatives will ram it through. And many times, they do so sight unseen. Members of Congress... You are elected to represent us, not lobbyists, not Washington, and not your leadership. Your leadership is to represent you. Will you please start doing the work again? We're going to have a very, very narrow, narrow Republican majority, maybe only a five to six seat Republican majority. Kevin McCarthy is the dog that finally caught the car. It's probably going to be a disaster. But if you just will take it into your own hands as members of Congress, Democrat and Republican alike, to do your job, which is to not be on MSNBC and Fox, but to be in the halls of Congress drafting legislation, you can probably take what could be a disaster and improve it. I'm not going to get my way all the time. But you won't either. But you would be better off served by trying to be a congressman for your constituents than being a personality on television. I like Lauren Boebert. Now, I have friends who are going to text me angrily over that because they really do not like her at all. And they will, some of them, because of their partisan convictions these days, they're going to question me and my convictions by saying I like Lauren Boebert. I like Lauren Boebert. I like her staff. I like Lauren Boebert and wish Marjorie Taylor Greene was more like Lauren Boebert because I'm convinced that Marjorie Taylor Greene is there for the show and not really for the work. And Lauren Boebert 
is there for the work as much as the show, but Lauren Boebert is nearly lost. She's going to wind up winning, I think. But in part, I, I hope that she actually recedes from the limelight. Go do the constituent work. More. More than you have. Show the voters you're there not to, for the celebrity status, but to actually be their member of Congress. Vote no. Be a firebrand. Vote no. Fight like hell. But behind the scenes, you staff up your constituent service division as much as you can, and you be seen in your district as much as you can, and you be out there working for the people of your district, whether you like them or not, or whether they like you or not. And you will blow it out of the water in two years. And every member of Congress should do that. I have good friends of mine who are in Congress who are on Twitter, and they do a good job on Twitter. They, they make their case. I think, though, that, I mean, we find this in, in with theologians. We find this with athletes. We find this with TV reporters. We find this with members of Congress. We find this with radio show, talk show hosts. You, you start to get defined by Twitter, and you begin to be less defined by your local community. And if you're a member of Congress, you can't afford that. I really wish members of Congress would get off Twitter and off TV and off radio and just legislate. The United States Senate has a rule that um, it prioritizes recognition of the person named the majority leader of the majority coalition and after him the minority leader and thereafter every other senator. Every senator, though, is otherwise equal in the ability to draft legislation and advance it, and members of the Senate should do the same thing. I really do think if Republicans want to unspook independent voters, and Republicans lost the independent vote for the first time in five elections, the GOP has lost the independent vote. And if you listen to what the independent voters are saying, it's that while they don't like the Democrats, they're a little bit freaked out by some of the Republican brand right now. So you need to show that you can actually just be a workhorse and not a show horse on Fox or MSNBC or on social media, you actually need to put in the sweat equity of being a legislator, which is why you're sent there. So draft legislation, draft legislation, draft it and send it to committee and let Republicans and Democrats together mark it up and compromise and try to find some way forward. And maybe you won't, but maybe you will. And then advance it to the floor and maybe you'll get a bipartisan vote for something. Maybe you won't. And you've got to run it through with just Republicans or just Democrats, who's ever in the majority. But try. Stop doing these top-down, one-size-fits-all, massive omnibus pieces of legislation designed to be so big and drop so quickly that no one can read and understand what's in them. Do this. And you will probably improve people's confidence in Congress. Get off television up your constituent services, and actually legislate. Actually sit in a committee room and mark up legislation. Actually allow, if you're in the leadership, the members of Congress to spearhead the legislation. Actually do a budget. Do those things. Republicans, you're probably going to take the House. It's very nebulous as to whether you will take the Senate. But if you want to separate yourselves from the wokes, be competent and not crazy. Legislate instead of pontificate. 
show people you're the grown-up, not crazy people in the room. And I suspect come 2024, you'll make more gains than you did in 2022. One of the groups you can rely on if you're in Congress or if you're in the heartland, if you're in your a local community, is Americans for Prosperity. They believe in free markets and free people. They can help draft legislation. They can help find you the information you need to make up your own mind. They can educate you. They can get you everything you need to be a good activist. I hope you'll consider joining them. They have local groups all over the country. You go to americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. AmericansForProsperity.org slash Eric. You can learn how to be a grassroots activist. You can learn how to do door-to-door knocking and canvassing for uh, people running for office. You can learn how to show up at your school board meeting and be the smartest person in the room, commanding the facts and learning how to give a short speech that is deeply persuasive. You can do all of those things. You can be a better activist, a better conservative, a more thoughtful person in your community arguing about ideas and public policy, not just yelling by going to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. If you believe in free markets and free people, Americans for Prosperity is for you. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Glad to do today as an open line Friday since I'm not going to be here tomorrow. Um, if If you missed earlier, a couple housekeeping notes, seriously. One is my wife scans. We finally got the results right as I was coming on air uh, everything is is fine. I really appreciate the prayers. Y'all, I, I can't thank you enough for the prayers. Uh, so many people have texted over the last couple of days just asking. Um, more than one governor has texted and said, where's your wife's scans? What's going on? Um, it's been, one, I realize, man, way many too many people have my cell phone number, but two, uh, I, I really thank you. I really, really do. Um, the other one is uh, I had to be in Orlando at WDBO last Friday, so I missed going to see my dad for his birthday. And so I'm going to take my wife and kids over tomorrow to Louisiana to see my parents. Um, we haven't, my kids have not seen my parents in a while, and they need to. And so we're going to take them over, and I want to be there by dinner time. And the only way logistically to do that is for me to not be here with you guys tomorrow. Um, just given flights and travel and all that sort of stuff. So um, my apologies for bailing on you. I actually want to sleep late tomorrow too after um, probably 10 days of three to four hours of sleep a night uh, in the run-up to this election. I, I'm, I'm ready for a little bit of a break. Normally, I would take off uh, Friday and Monday, but with Thanksgiving coming up as soon as it is, I just can't bring myself to take that much time off right now when I'm going to take off a couple of days for Thanksgiving. So that's what's going on here. Um, when we come back, um, I want to take your phone calls. I got a few more things that I really want to say, but I also got to tell you something. I am in my home bunker right now and my Omaha steaks package just showed up because uh, I put in an order. Uh, so, you know, I don't eat the caramel tartlets at I, I'm not a big apple pie fan. My wife, however, loves them. Uh, and they just showed up, so she's very happy about it. Uh, everybody at the office, 
uh, picks on me about those caramel albatross, but my wife loves them, and she'd either make it a whole apple pie and, and half of it would go to waste, or she can pull those individually out and get them uh, and, and freeze them otherwise. If you want some, go to omahasteaks.com. At checkout, you can put Eric in, E-R-I-C-K as your promo code, and get an extra $30 off. There is a minimum order requirement for that, though. But you go to omahasteaks.com, and you can take advantage of the Friends and Family Sale right now. The Friends and Family Sale gives you incredible savings site-wide with the extra $30 off at savings. You just go to omahasteaks.com, and you put Eric, E-R-I-C-K, in at checkout, and you save that extra $30. You can get steaks. You can get the bacon wrap flakes. I've got in this box chicken breasts. Uh, the Omaha Steak Burgers, and I've got some of the bacon wrap fillets as well as the caramel apple turtlets. I love their bacon wrap fillets. Incredible value, incredible quality, incredible deal. OmahaSteaks.com. Put Eric in at checkout for an extra $30 off. 